40. El Rio, the river. The past few weeks have been slow and quiet. Mom is working extra shifts because she's determined to start saving money so she can put down a down payment on a car. EJ practically lives at the studio, so I'm usually home by myself, which is good. The house stays cleaner this way, and the food lasts longer. I haven't spent much time with Sam, partly because I usually have something to do after school, but mostly because I don't know how to be around her when I know she doesn't think the sales clerk treated me wrong. I don't even think she feels the tension between us. She has moved on and acts like everything is fine. But me? I'm stuck wondering if I can truly be friends with someone who just doesn't understand what I go through, how I feel. I don't expect Sam to always agree with me. But she didn't even give me that generic, I'm sorry that happened to you, or I'm sorry you feel that way, response. Today, though, I have nowhere to go after school, so there's no avoiding Sam. She sees me at my locker and I swap out one book for another and waits for me. I have to stop by Mrs. Parker's office before I leave, she says. Okay. We walk to Mrs. Parker's office, and when she sees us, she smiles and opens her jar. What's your pleasure today, she asks. She holds the jar out. Sam takes two sour apple Jolly Ranchers. I take a cherry one. Then Miss Parker says, Jade, do you mind if I speak with Sam alone just for a moment? Oh, um, okay. I'll wait out there, Sam. I point to the sitting area outside Mrs. Parker's office. I take one more Jolly Rancher and leave. When I step into the waiting area, I dump my bag onto the chairs and walk over to the Alumni Hall of Fame wall. Here, the counselors have posted photos of graduates from the last school year each photo with a small sign under the name that lists the college the former graduates are attending. I smile, knowing my picture will be here one day. Sam comes out of Mrs. Parker's office, an envelope in her hand and the biggest smile on her face. She can't even get her words out. She's breathing and smiling so hard. Oh my God, Jade, this is so unreal. You're not going to believe this. What happened? We walked out of the counseling center and make our way to the bus stop. I've been nominated for the study abroad program, she says. This year's trip is to Costa Rica. When she says this, there's a pain in my chest, a real physical pain. What I really want to do is turn around, go back to Mrs. Parker's office and ask, what about me? Instead, I say, that's wow, Sam, that's congratulations. I feel horrible that I can't do any better than that. I try again. That's really amazing. What did Mrs. Parker say? Well, she says I was nominated by Mr. Flores, Sam tells me. We get to the bus stop and wait. I can barely look at Sam right now because I'm afraid she'll see my eyes and know how I really feel. I sit down and look out on the street. Sam opens her envelope. There's a lot of information happening in the next two weeks. I have to bring an adult. She keeps talking, but I lose track of what she is saying. I'm too busy thinking, how did this happen? Too busy trying to concentrate on the moving cars and trucks so I can distract my tears from falling. What's wrong? Sam asks. If she has to ask, it's not worth explaining. Nothing, I say. She probably wouldn't understand anyway. Are you sure? Nothing's wrong. The bus comes. We get on, show our bus passes, and head to the usual section. I get in first and sit next to the window. The bus jerks. Sam stumbles into the seat next to me. Once she is situated in her seat, she turns to me and says, You should come to the meeting, too. The two of us in Costa Rica? That'd be the best thing. You have to be nominated to go, Sam. No one nominated me. But, well, maybe... Maybe what? Sam puts the envelope in her backpack. We ride in silence. Finally, silence. Passengers get on and off the bus, on and off. Sam moves her two long bangs out of her face. What are you thinking about? Nothing, I say. Are you mad at me? No. Okay. 
We're getting close to Sam's stop. She scoots forward, getting ready to get up, even though there are at least four more blocks to go. Sam starts talking again. I, um, I was going to ask if you wanted to come over this weekend. Maybe spend the night? I'll let you know what my mom says. We can make pizza. My grandpa taught me how to make it from scratch. You like pizza, right? I nod. When the bus pulls over at Sam's stop, she walks to the back door. See you tomorrow, she says. Bye. I ride through the transition blocks, and then I'm back on my side of town, where the river is polluted. I'm thinking about the fish and the river, and giving and the learning. I'm wondering how choices are made about who gets what and how much they get. Wondering who owns the river and the line and the hook and the worm. 41. Familia. Family. I haven't spent time with Maxine since the outing at the symphony. She's called a lot, but I usually make an excuse and say how busy I am and that I can't talk. But she was determined to hang out today, so she invited me to her family's Sunday dinner. It's a tradition in my family to eat dinner on the first Sunday of the month, Maxine tells me. We call it Soul Food Sunday. I'm surprised when Maxine says this. She doesn't seem like the type of person who knows anything about soul food. I'm in charge of dessert, Maxine says. She studies the cake inside the glass case. We're at some fancy bakery in the pool district, browsing through cakes and scones and cookies. What looks good to you? Everything, I tell her. She laughs. Yes, this is pastry heaven. I get myself in trouble when I come here on Fridays. Everything's half off on Fridays. The baker behind the counter has just finished decorating a cake. She sculpted it to look like a dollhouse. I doubt the little girl it's being made for will even want to cut into it. It looks too real. Too real to eat. Maxine waves over one of the men behind the counter. Can I get a dozen of these? She points to the lemon marinberry scones. Then she looks at me and says, now you pick something. A cake. Which one should we get? She hands me the cake list. I look over. Satcher torte, pink champagne, creme de la menthe, chocolate ganache. I go with the one that has chocolate in the name. You can't go wrong with chocolate. Good choice, Maxine says. My dad loves chocolate ganache. You won him over without even trying. Maxine pays for the cake and the scones and we leave the bakery. I can tell we're entering the rich part of Portland. We're driving up a winding road that's got us so high my ears are popping. The road is secluded by tall trees tickling the sky. We've come to a stop sign and it feels like we might slide back down the hill. The car is at an angle and I feel like I'm on a carnival ride that got stuck. Maxine looks both ways and begins to drive again. Then she says, look to your left. I turn my head and see the city of Portland below, Mount Hood in the distance. Maxine makes a right turn onto a steep hill, leading us down into a cul-de-sac of houses. Wait, not houses, mansions. I've seen places like this before, like when I watch those shows that give an inside look at celebrity homes, but I've never been inside one. We're here, Maxine says. She pulls up to a house that has a three-garage door and a balcony that wraps around to the front of the house. The yard looks fake, too plush, and green to be real. A woman who looks just like Maxine is standing at the door. When we get out of the car, she calls out, Max! That's my sister Mia, Maxine tells me. They hug and we go inside. It takes only seconds before Maxine's family is surrounding us, hugging us, and welcoming me. Maxine introduces me to everyone. Maxine's brother Nathan and his wife Abby and Mr. and Mrs. Winters, Maxine's parents. Nathan takes the cake out of my hand. It's clearly in a box that's labeled the cake shop, but he still looks at his sister and says, oh no, you didn't bake this, did you, Max? Maxine hits him. Not in front of company, please, she says. He laughs, looks at me and whispers, 
At the last dinner, she burned boiling water. Burned boiling water. I try not to laugh too hard, but I can't help it. Abby takes my jacket. Maxine lets me know that her mom prefers for people to take off their shoes. I take them off and add them to the row of shoes lined up against the wall. Everything in this house seems to have a place. No piles or messes. The walls look like curated museum exhibits. Maxine notices me looking at the art. My mom loves collecting black art. It's all through the house. That's where Mia gets it from. Maxine calls out to her sister. Mia, what's the name of this artist again? The collection in the foyer? Mia yells, Jacob Lawrence. Right, Maxine says. We walk into the kitchen. Mia and Abby are putting food on serving dishes. I ask them if they need help with anything. But Mia insists that since I'm a guest, I should make myself comfortable. I sit down on the small sofa. Yes, a sofa in the kitchen. That's how big this place is. And watch the siblings orbit around one another, going back and forth between the stove and the fridge and the cabinets. Mia says to me, so tell us about yourself, Jade. You're an artist, right? I'd love to have you stop by my gallery. Thanks, I'd like that, I say. Maxine says, yeah, I keep meaning to take you by there. I think you'd like it. And Mia, you'll love Jade's work. Mia and Abby switch off with the questions. What grade are you in? Any siblings? Do you like St. Francis? What do you want to do after high school? Maxine interjects. Don't bombard my mentee with questions, she says. I've already told you, Jade is an artist and she's also a scholar. Maxine brags about me, telling them she's so focused. I just know she's going to be a successful woman one day. Mia arranges crackers and cheese on a tray. She cuts the slices of cheese carefully. And so you live in North Portland, right? Man, that's dedication. How early do you get up to get to school? I got up at... It's not that bad, is it, Jade? Maxine asks. You get up, what, six o'clock? Are you going to let the girl speak, Nathan says. I was thinking the same thing. Maxine is acting like she's afraid that if I open my mouth, I'll say the wrong thing. Embarrass her or something. She seems nervous. I still don't get a word in because Mia says, well, I'll stop putting Jade on the spot. Let's talk about what our plans are going to be for summer vacation. I know it's a ways away, but we should at least start narrowing down a place, she says. She walks the tray into the dining room and sets it on a long table against the wall. The space is open, so even though she's in the dining room, I see her in the living room and even the staircase that must lead to the bedrooms all at once. I'm still on a high from our winter vacation, Abby says. Sun Mountain Lodge was magnificent. Let's go there again. Abby is rinsing spinach so she can make the salad. I don't know, Mia says. I was thinking we'd go someplace tropical. Sun Mountain Lodge won't be as fun without all the snow. The cross-country skiing was the best part. Abby adds, let's not forget about that spa where we got the body and face treatment. I didn't want to leave. She places the spinach in the bowl and adds dried cranberries, goat cheese, and walnuts. Nathan takes a piece of cheese out of the bowl. Abby slaps his hand. He takes another and says, what about doing Victoria this summer? Or Northern California, Mia says. The four of them move around, setting the table, making the final preparations to the food. They never decide on a place. I wonder what it would be like to go on a family vacation. Mom and I have never traveled anywhere together. One day I'm going to take her someplace, somewhere far from Oregon. Someplace you have to get on a plane in order to get to. Mr. and Mrs. Winters come back downstairs, and we all go into the dining room. The food on the table looks so elegant, like a feast for a royal family. But it's really just baked macaroni and cheese, greens, candied yams, and oxtails with a white rice. I wonder how it tastes. Wonder if anything that looks this fancy can still taste how soul food is supposed to taste. I sit down, Maxine beside me. She takes the folded linen napkin off her plate and drapes it on her lap, telling me with her eyes to do the same. I do.
After Mr. Winters prays over the food, I take the fork closest to my plate and begin to eat. Maxine gently taps me on the leg and whispers, Wrong fork. Use the one farthest from the plate and work your way in through dinner. I already have salad dressing on my fork, and I know better than to lick it off and place the fork back on the table, so I just freeze. It's okay, Nathan says. He picks up the wrong fork, too, and starts eating. He winks at me and I keep eating, but for the rest of dinner, I'm careful to watch what Maxine does. The first bite of food is so good, I almost moan out loud. That's what we do at my house. The first five minutes is me and EJ moaning and telling Mom, Oh my goodness, this is so good. And mmm, yes, yes. But I get the feeling that's not what Maxine's family does. Once we're good into the meal, Mrs. Winters say, So let's do our check-ins. She turns to her husband. Nothing new around here, he says. I sold the house in Laurelhurst. The room echoes with congratulations. Mia's next. She finishes swallowing her food, takes a sip of her wine, and then says, Work is amazing. I just put up a show of local emerging artists. We're getting lots of foot traffic. Mia takes another sip of her drink. Tim and I are doing well. He sends his love. He really wants to be here, but he's on call tonight and had to go in. When she says this, Maxine whispers to me, Her husband is a doctor. Mia tosses a look to Nathan, who is sitting next to her. And you? All is well at the firm, Nathan says. Work is work, you know. Same thing, different day. He puts his arm around his wife. I'll let Abby tell you our real news. Mrs. Winker Winters puts her fork down. I knew it! I knew it! Abby chuckles. We don't know the sex yet. The sonogram is next week, she says. Mrs. Winters gets out of her seat and hugs Abby, squeezing her tight. Mr. Winters pats Nathan on his back. Congratulations, son. My boy, a father. He shakes his head. I look at Maxine, who is the only one not smiling. She rakes her yams from one side of the plate to the other, never taking a bite. Once she sees me staring at her, she snaps out of it and smiles, gets up to hug Abby. I can't believe I'm going to be an auntie, she says. I'm going to be the baby's favorite, just saying. Everyone is so excited about Nathan's announcement that the family check-in stops, and all Mrs. Winters can do is make plans for the baby shower. No one asks Maxine if she has any news. I can tell Maxine is hurt by this, because when Mia says, we should paint a mural in the baby's nursery, that'd be so much fun, wouldn't it, Maxine? Maxine says, yeah, sure, that would be awesome. But her voice is flat, without emotion. Mrs. Winters brings out a dessert. I'm still eating, but I notice that everyone else has left a little bit on their plates, so I do too. In my house, there's no wasting food, not one morsel of it. But here, I think it's some way of showing you don't eat too much, that you're saving room for dessert. Everyone gawks over how beautiful the cake is. Jade picked it, Maxine says. Mr. Winters looks at me. Great choice, he says. We eat dessert, the best cake I've ever had. And then Mrs. Winters pushes her chair back from the table. Jade, honey, would you please rescue my family from these calories and take some of this food home? Oh, that's okay. No, I don't want to take your... I insist, she says. She smiles and gets up from the table and goes into the kitchen. Come, I follow her. Mrs. Winters makes five Tupperware containers for me, and there's food wrapped in foil and a bottle of sparkling cider. She places the food in a canvas tote bag. Then she cuts a few slices of cake. My husband will finish this off tonight if you don't take some, she says. She wraps the slices of cake individually. Maxine comes into the kitchen. She sees the stuffed bag and says, Mom, there are only three people who live there. I think that's good. Well, this way they can have seconds, Mrs. Winters says. Would you like liked me to make you a to-go plate too, Max? She says this with less generosity in her voice. No, thank you. You sure? I'm only trying to help. Not like you're working or anything. Mom, I said, no, thank you. 
I walk over to the sofa and sit down. I know it isn't like I can't still hear them, but for some reason it feels better to be over here instead of in the middle of them. Well, honey, now don't get upset. You know I worry about you. It's very nice to see what you're doing with Jade, she says. Maxine whispers, kind of. Her voice is low, but I'm close enough that I still hear her. Mom, it's not just nice what I'm doing with Jade. Woman to woman is making a difference in her life. I was hoping that by bringing her here, you'd see I'm doing something that matters. Then she lowers her voice even more and walks farther away from me. I can't hear what she says, but Mrs. Winter's voice is loud and clear. I don't care about her sob story, Max. I understand that this program is important to you, but you need a real job. Your father and I can't keep... Nathan walks in, carrying a handful of dishes. He rakes the remainders of dinner into the trash and hands the plates to Abby so she can load the dishwasher. Maxine and Mrs. Winters stop talking, and I'm so glad. I don't want to hear any more about Mrs. Winters' resentment towards her daughter for being my mentor. I want to just leave. Just want to go back to my mother and eat the food at her table that has no rules about the ways you use a fork or a napkin. Want to go where I don't have to pretend I'm not hungry, where I can eat all that's on my plate and not feel greedy. I do not want to be Maxine's experiment, charity case, or rebellious backlash against her mother. I do not want her to feel she has to coach me on what to say. We say goodbye to everyone and leave. Maxine and I ride down the hill. The sky is dark now, and the road is slick with rain. The side-to-side, side-to-side rhythm of the windshield wipers fills the silence. In the dark, these majestic houses feel creepy, hidden away in the trees and tucked behind alcoves. When we get to the bottom of the hill, Maxine says, I'm not sure what you heard. Please don't. Just let's not talk. Please take me home. I don't want an explanation or an apology. The feeling comes again. The tightness in my chest. Tears in my eyes. My mouth on lockdown. No words coming out. But they are there. I feel them rising. 42. Saber. To know. Mom knows the food in the fridge is from Maxine's mom. The ticket stub from the Portland Art Museum and the program from the Artist Repertory Theater are both outings woman to women arranged. Mom knows. She is sleeping to work and working to eat and working and working and working. And Mom knows that when she asks me, how was your day? And I say, it was fine, that I'm leaving out the details to spare her from hearing how the village is raising her child. So things are going well with this mentoring thing, huh? Mom presses. And to think, you didn't even want to give Maxine a chance. Mom eats another forkful of Mrs. Winter's food. Now you're with her all the time, just loving it, huh? I wouldn't say I love it, I tell her. I'm actually thinking about quitting. Mom puts her fork down. What happened? Nothing. Jade, nothing happened, but you want to quit? Come on now. I'm serious. Nothing happened. Nothing's happening. That's the problem. I just, I don't know. I feel like half the time I'm Maxine's charity case. That's it? That's why you want to quit, she asked? Look, Jade, you're not quitting that program. Who do you think is going to pay for you to go to college? Not me, no matter how much I save. Not your daddy. Mom, I can find another way to get a scholarship, I tell her. I have good grades, and I'm sure I'll get decent SAT score. This isn't only about a scholarship. It isn't, I say. Don't get smart with me. First of all, I didn't raise you to be a person who walks away from commitments. Someone else could have taken your spot. Second of all, not every girl is a young woman like Maxine to look up to. You need to learn that burning bridges always has a consequence. But I don't look up to Maxine, I tell her. She's using me to feel better about herself. And her mother gave us all this food because she feels sorry for us. If that's how you act when you have money, I'd rather stay poor. Poor. I actually said the word out loud. To my mom. About us. That's a foolish thing to say, Jade. 
Mom gets up and walks to her bedroom, a very foolish thing to say. When mom comes back to the kitchen, she's carrying a jar of coins, a big jar, like maybe she bought something at Costco and saved the container. You want this to be your life, Jade? Mom sets the jar in the middle of the table. You want to grow up and have children and only have this to leave behind as inheritance? Mom is talking to me in her I'm so mad at you I can't even yell voice. I really wish she would just yell at me. Now let's be clear. Having money doesn't make you successful. I know that. I'm not saying Maxine is perfect, but I am saying that even imperfect people have things to teach you. Mom says. You're too smart to be acting so stupid, Jade. You see how hard I'm working trying to save every penny I get so you can have some kind of life and you just want to throw away an opportunity that'll get you into college? So what, Maxine isn't perfect? The girl graduated from St. Francis's valedictorian. She learned how to navigate this white world and she's trying to show you how to do the same. You telling me she has nothing to teach you? You better learn how to get from this opportunity what you can and let the rest fall off your back, Mom says. You understand what I'm saying, Jade? I sit still and listen. I know better than to talk back and start an argument. You better figure out a way to stay in this program and finish strong. You hear me? Figure it out. 43. Tener dolor. To have pain. Today we learn the words that pertain to going to the doctor. Mr. Flores is always teaching us one kind of thing while I'm thinking about another. No me siento bien. I don't feel well. Tengo dolor. I have pain. Me duele aquí. It hurts here. 44. Hablar. To speak. I missed the next two outings with Maxine. I lied and told her I had too much homework so mom wouldn't let me go. I lied and told mom the outings were canceled. I didn't even miss them. I mean, I miss the free food and I miss going places I probably would have never gone on my own, but I don't miss the lectures on how to eat and how not to be who I am. I'm lying in my bed thinking about all this and looking around my room, at the walls, at the ceiling. There's a crack in the wall I've never noticed until now, and a spider is building her web in the corner of the ceiling. The wind is blowing and beating against my window. The rattling sounds like a nervous drum. The rain sounds like a million hands clapping in a stadium. Every now and then a car passes, speeding down the street on its way to somewhere. I hear pipes moan when EJ turns on the water in the kitchen. I hear the doorbell ring. Then his footsteps into the living room. Then Lily's voice. Before I can sit up, she's knocking on my door. Come in, I tell her. I don't care that I'm not dressed, that my hair is pulled back in a sloppy bun. When Lily comes in, the first thing she says is, what's the matter with you? She sits on the foot of my bed and stares me down with her, you better not lie to me, look. Nothing, I tell her. Tired. Why does your mom think I need to talk to you? Are you serious? She sent you over here? No, I was already on my way. We passed each other while she was going to work. She said maybe I can talk some sense into you, but didn't give me details. What's going on? Nothing. Jade. I'm thinking about quitting woman to woman. But don't you get a scholarship for being in that program? I sigh. I am so tired of talking about it. Well, you haven't talked about it with me, Lily says. I don't say anything. Look, I don't know what's going on with you, but I know that you're too smart to give up on yourself. I am not giving up on myself. Yes, you are. Whatever happened, it's not worth quitting. Who loses if you quit the program? Not Maxine. You do. You're the one who'll be trying to figure out how to pay back a student loan. But you don't understand, I tell Lily. I don't want to go to all these expensive restaurants and be reminded that my family can't afford to eat in them. I don't want to be taken all over the city of Portland just so I can see how everybody else's lives in bigger and better houses and neighborhoods. 
I wanted to be in woman to woman because I thought I'd actually learn something about being a woman, about how to be a successful woman. So far, I've learned how to make sure there are low-fat, vegan-friendly snacks at a girl talk session. It's got me thinking, is that all mentorship is? Taking someone younger than you to places they can't afford? But the look on Lily's face, she doesn't think any of these are good reasons to quit. I even tell her how sometimes Maxine made me feel like I am better than my friends at Northside, better than Lily. I add that part to get her on my side. But instead, Lily says, you need to talk to whoever is in charge. Have you said anything to anyone? I don't answer. They can't read your mind. I mean, I get what you're saying. Some of that stuff is a little corny, and a lot of it is offensive. But I don't know. What's the better option? Stay silent, leave the program, and they never have a chance to do better? But I could speak up and they could dismiss me. I mean, I doubt they'll take me seriously. They'll probably just make excuses, I tell her. And I shouldn't have to tell grown people how to act. This is their program. It's their program, but it's for you, she says. If you speak up and they dismiss you, that's on them. But if you stay quiet and just quit, well, all right, all right, I'll think about it, I tell Lily. I don't know why I never considered it before. Here I am so focused on learning to speak another language, but I barely use the words I already know. I need to speak up for myself, for what I need and for what I want. Like most times, Lily is right. I love and hate that about her. 45. La Verdad. The Truth. The next day I call Maxine and ask if we can get together. She says yes right away and we make plans for Saturday afternoon. When she gets to my house, she steps inside and brings the cold in with her. Jade! Maxine reaches out to hug me. I missed you. Her hug is tight and long. It is so good to see you. She holds on to me as if to say, I'm sorry for hurting you. As if to say, I'm not going to stop calling or coming by. I'm committed to you. Ready, she asks. Ready. We get into our car. It's beginning to sprinkle, so Maxine turns the wipers on the lowest speed, and I watch the water disappear and come back again. Sabrina is always telling us girls that we need to work on making eye contact with people, that people want to know we're telling the truth and we're confident and sure of ourselves. But I feel more confident when I'm looking at the floor or my shoes or far away at the rain clouds. I know I don't have a choice, so like my mom and Lily keep telling me, I start speaking. I'm sorry I've been flaking out on you. Do you want to tell me what's going on? I want something more from woman to woman, I tell her. I don't want to sound ungrateful. I mean, I do like going on all those trips, but sometimes you make me feel like you've come to fix me. Only, I don't feel broken. Not until I'm around you. Maxine doesn't say anything. She keeps driving, keeps listening. It feels like woman to woman takes us to all these places outside of our neighborhood, as if the places in our neighborhood aren't good enough. I pause to see if she's going to say anything. She doesn't. So I keep going. I say it all. When you invited me over to have dinner with your family, I thought that was so nice of you. I thought you wanted to spend time with me and get to know me and that you cared about me enough to meet your family. But I felt like you just wanted to use me to get at your mom and prove some kind of point to her, like you were showing off. You didn't even let me speak for myself. I got so confused because some of the time you act like you're proud of me and other times you act like you're ashamed. Maxine pulls into the parking lot at McManus on 33rd. She takes her seatbelt off, but we don't get out right away. Jade, I'm sorry. I feel horrible that you've been holding on to all of this, Maxine says. I've got a lot of learning to do. I'm so sorry I hurt you in the process. Maxine sounds like she's about to cry, but the tears don't fall. I don't pity you, Jade, not at all. I don't pity your friends, and you're right. I shouldn't be speaking for you, ever. Sometimes I overcompensate, I think. 
I want to make sure you're comfortable, that you don't feel on the spot. And well, I am proud of you, so maybe I brag a bit. Make sure people know you're not the statistic they may be assuming you are. But yeah, you have a mouth and you can say all these things yourself. This conversation isn't as intense as I thought it would be. Maxine asks, so what are some things woman to woman can do better? I take my seatbelt off. Well, I'd like to learn about real life things. I mean, like, you know, how to create a budget and balance a checkbook so I know how much money I can spend and how much to put aside so the lights don't get turned off, I tell her. You know, stuff like that. I do like the program. I'm not saying we should stop those outings, but it seems like we can do more. Jade, I don't feel that you're underappreciative. I think you're right. We could do better, Maxine says. Any other ideas you have? I've been thinking, what if we do a visit to your sister's gallery? Maybe she can talk about how she started her own business. Let's talk to Sabrina. I'm sure she'll think it's a great idea. Maxine reaches to the back seat and grabs her purse. Before we open the door, she asks, anything else you want to talk about? I didn't think I would say it, but when I open my mouth, John comes out. It's kind of hard to believe you care about me when you're always standing me up for him, I tell her. Maxine sighs a slow, deep breath. You're right, she says. She opens the door. Let's talk about him over dinner. 46. Abandonar. To quit. As we walk through McManus, Maxine acts like a tour guide. Isn't it cool that this used to be a school? I love how they renovate old buildings. You know, they've done a funeral home, too. I'd never want to go there, ever. Maxine laughs. There's one close to your house, but this one is my favorite, she tells me. We walk down a hall, and Maxine shows me what used to be a boiler room. It's a bar now. You're too young to go in there, but maybe I'll take you on your 21st birthday, Maxine smiles at me. I smile too and wonder if I'll know her past high school. Here's the movie theater, Maxine says. I love coming here. All the seats are secondhand couches and chairs. You can bring food from the restaurant in there too, she says. It's a perfect cheap place for a date. You sound like you work here or something. Just come here a lot, Maxine says. We walk into the restaurant and wait to be seated. There are all kinds of lights hanging from the ceiling that are different sizes and shapes and colors. They're kind of weird looking, but also beautiful. The hostess seats us at the window that overlooks the patio, which has a garden and an outdoor fireplace. Maxine takes the lemon wedge that's on the rim of her glasses and squirts it into her water and takes a sip. So after meeting Kira and Bailey, I'm sure you see that you're not the first person to be anti-John, she says. I don't think we're anti-John. I think we're pro-Maxine, I say. Maxine smiles as tears fall. She wipes them quickly. Oh, Jade, you have me in here getting all emotional. You're not supposed to be giving me the advice, she says. Now that I've spoken honestly with Maxine and she's really listened, I feel like I can tell her anything. I know I'm the mentee, I say, but for what it's worth, I don't think he deserves your time or any more attention from you. Maxine says, I know. Then I need to be better at setting boundaries and letting go. She takes in a deep breath and releases it real slow and puts her mentor voice back on. And you need to work on not giving up so easily. How about we make a deal? I quit John, and you don't quit the program. Deal. 47. Orar. To pray. If I don't leave in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to be late for school. I put two Pop-Tarts in the toaster and don't even wait for them to shoot up. I slide the warm pastries back into the silver sleeve and put them into my backpack. I'll eat them on the bus. I walk into the living room. EJ is awake but still lying down looking at his phone. Morning, he mumbles. Good morning. I put my coat on and zip it. You hear what happened Saturday night, EJ asks? No. He sits up and reads from his phone. 
Vancouver, Washington, police manhandle black teen at house party. What? Vancouver's just across the Columbus River. It's practically in my backyard, just a 15-minute drive from my house. Most of the black people I know who live there used to live in Portland. What's her name, I asked. EJ looks at his phone, scrolling up and down with his finger. Natasha Ramsey, he says. She's 15. He turns the phone to me so I can see the photo. I don't recognize her name or face, but still she looks familiar, like a girl I'd be friends with. What? What happened? The police beat her bad. She's in critical condition. EJ reads the article, calling out details as he reads. The police were called to a house party because neighbors complained about loud music. The cops are saying when they came to break up the party, she was insubordinate. He reads for a few moments and then tells me, they are saying they didn't use excessive force, but the girl has fractured ribs and a broken jaw. EJ shakes his head and puts down the phone. We probably wouldn't even know about this except people had their phones out recording. I feel like we should say a prayer or something. Why? For Natasha Ramsey, for her family. And what is prayer going to do, EJ asks. Prayer ain't nothing but the poor man's drug. What? Poor people are the ones who pray. People who don't have what they need, who can't pay their rent, who can't buy healthy food, who can't save any of their paycheck because every dollar is already accounted for. Those are the people who pray. They pray for miracles. They pray for signs. They pray for good health. Rich people don't do that, he tells me. Plus, God isn't the one we need to be talking to. We need to talk to the chief of police, the mayor, the governor. They're the ones to power to make change. I stare at the picture. Can't stop looking at her face and how she looks like someone who used to live in my neighborhood. Maybe she used to? I see the time at the top of the screen. I'm going to be late, I yell. I definitely missed the bus. I rush to the door, but before I leave, EJ stops me. Be careful today, Jade. For real. I will. When I get to school, the tardy bell for first period is ringing and I go to class. The entire time, all I can think about is Natasha Ramsey. Her smiling face. The bells ring and I go to my locker. Sam is waiting for me. Thought maybe you were sick and weren't coming today, she says. No, just couldn't get out of the house on time. I almost asked if Sam heard about Natasha Ramsey, but I figured she didn't say anything about it. She probably hasn't. I'm going to my next class, saying a prayer in my head as I walk down the hall. 48. Phantasma. Ghost. It's lunchtime. Sam and I are in the cafeteria, standing in line to fix our burrito bowls. All day long, I've been whispering prayers. Natasha's name haunts me. No one speaks her name or mentions what happened. It's as if no one in this school knows or cares that an unarmed black girl was assaulted by the police just across the river. My stomach hurts. And all I want to do is talk to my mom and Lily and Maxine. Every time something like this happens, I go to accounting for every person who I know who fits the description, who it could have been. Feels like such a selfish thing to do, to be thankful it isn't someone I know, to call people just to hear their breath on the other end of the line. Excuse me, young lady, I'm not going to tell you again. Keep the line moving. Step up, step up. The voice interrupts my thoughts, and I realize Ms. Weber is talking to me. She is the short woman with hair to her waist. We've exchanged hellos every now and then, but we've never had a conversation. You too, Hannah, she says to the white girl in back of me. Sam is in the front of us and has already put her rice and beans in the bowl. God, Ms. Weber, you don't have a heart attack about it, Hannah says. I turn to Hannah and say, I know, right? Is it that serious? I pick up my bowl and get ready to dish my rice. Ms. Weber stands in front of me. You have a problem, young lady? My name is Jade, I tell her. I didn't ask what your name was. I asked if you had a problem. I roll my eyes. You so worried about the line moving and now you're holding us up, I say. 
I try to pass her, but she won't move. You need to adjust your attitude, Miss Weber says. I walk around Miss Weber. I put a scoop of rice and beans in my bowl. Hannah's behind me. She laughs. What's your problem today, Weber? PMS? Didn't get laid last night? I mean, God, what is it? I laugh, and as I put my grilled cheese in the bowl, Ms. Weber says, Okay, that's it. Go see Mrs. Parker. I don't think she's talking to me, so I keep moving down the line. Sam has finished making her lunch and has gone to find us a seat. Did you hear me, young lady? Go see Mrs. Parker now. My name is Jade, and why do I have to go see Mrs. Parker? Because she's the only one in the school who can handle you. Come with me, she says. She snatches my lunch out of my hands and throws it into the trash can and escorts me out of the cafeteria. When we get to Mrs. Parker's office, Ms. Weber says, Shirley, I need to speak with you. Then she turns to me and says, you can stay here. I stand against the wall. Mrs. Parker doesn't close her door, so I'm not sure what the point is of having me stand out here. I hear everything Mrs. Weber is saying, every lie and exaggeration. This girl needs to lose her attitude. I'm not going to tolerate all that sass. She was so disrespectful, Shirley. I get up and walk towards them. Did you tell her what you said? Did you tell her that Hannah was being disrespectful too? Mrs. Parker turns to me. Jade, please wait for me. I'll come out and hear your side too. I'm not going to let her lie on me, Mrs. Parker. I didn't do anything. See what I mean, Mrs. Weber says? Young lady, your defiant behavior can get you kicked out of this school. Let's all calm down, Mrs. Parker says. Now there's a scene. Other counselors and students who are in the counseling center are staring. I refuse to put on a show for them. I stop talking. I stand back against the wall and wait. By the time Mrs. Parker is ready for me, lunch is over. She calls me into her office and sits across from me behind her desk. Are you okay to stay at school today or do you need to go home? Mrs. Parker, I didn't do anything. Jade, lower your voice. I'm only asking you a question. I'm trying to help you. If you need to take a moment and clear your head for the day, you can go home. But if you choose to stay, you'll have to let go of the attitude and I want to go home, I tell her. And I never want to come back to this school again. I think that's a good choice, Mrs. Parker says. We'll start fresh tomorrow. I thought you wanted to hear my side, I said. I didn't do anything, Mrs. Parker. Look, Jade, you're not in trouble. So you know Ms. Weber is lying? I know both of you probably let this go too far, and that it's a good idea to simply move on from this misunderstanding. I bite my lip, hold back the tears that are boiling in my eyes. I think about Lily and Maxine and how they're always telling me to speak up for myself. But right now I can't talk. Nothing but curse words would come out anyway, so I stay silent. I walk out of her office and go to my locker. Before I leave, I stop by Mrs. Flores's class. He has a prep period after lunch, so I know he won't have students in his class. His door is open. He's reading something on his laptop and eating a sandwich. Mr. Flores? Yes? I'm going home early today, and I just wanted to know if you can tell me what the homework is going to be. Well, sure, but is everything okay? I'm fine, I tell him. If I talk about it, the tears will spill over. Mr. Flores talks me through today's lesson and gives me the homework. If you have questions, you can stop by at lunch tomorrow. Okay, thanks. I look down at Mr. Flores's computer. The screen has a photo of Natasha Ramsey on it next to an article. Bye, Mr. Flores. Bye, Jade. Hope you feel better. 49. El Telefono. The Telephone. Are you okay, Sam asks. She sounds like maybe she's washing dishes. I can't believe they sent me home. I know. I didn't even do anything, I say. Well, you were mouthing off, Jade. I mean, I could never talk to a teacher like that. Yes, you could. Hannah did. The water shuts off. I hear dishes clank and then a drawer open and close. Well, you know why Hannah didn't get in trouble, Sam says. Because she's white. 
I can't see Sam, but I'm pretty sure she just rolled her eyes. Uh, no, because she's rich. Her parents donate a bunch of money to the school every year. She can say and do whatever she wants, Sam says. That had nothing to do with her being white and your being black. You know that's what people are going to say about Natasha Ramsey. That had nothing to do with her being black. Who? Sam asks. There's silence between us. I don't respond because this is not a conversation I want to have. Not with Sam. I tell her I have to go. That my mom needs the phone. I hang up. Call Lily. 50. Respirar. To breathe. The first thing Lily says to me is, I was just about to call you. Did you hear what happened? Yeah, I've been thinking about it all day. We had a town hall meeting for students who needed to talk about it. I went, Lily tells me. Did you say anything, I asked? No, just listened. It was kind of pointless. I mean, you know, the usual, if you need an adult to talk to, we're here for you, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, that's more than my school, I tell her. I want to do something, Lily says. Do something? Yeah, I mean, well... I kind of am. I guess Mrs. Baker gave us an assignment to write a poem in honor of Natasha Ramsey or any victim of police brutality. But writing a poem doesn't seem like enough. I don't know. Lily's voice cracks and she stops talking. I hear her sniffing and breathing hard. I get up off the bed and walk about my room. You okay? I don't know why this is making me so... so... I don't know. I mean, we hear about this stuff all the time, but she didn't even die. It's not even as bad as it could be, but for some reason I just, I don't know, I feel, it just feels too close. Yeah, I guess. Like, I guess it could have been you or me. There are no words from Lily, only the sound of her breathing. We sit there not talking, just listening to each other's breath. Just thankful. 51. Borar. To erase. Morning will be here soon and I haven't slept at all. How does time go by without you seeing it, hearing it, feeling it? Have I yawned? Did my stomach moan? Did my eyes fade at least once? I decide to make another piece about York. In Clark's journals, he wrote that many Native Americans were fascinated with York's dark skin, his hair, his big frame. I can hear them asking, What are you? Where are you from? Why are you so dark? What happened to you? Clark wrote that some of the tribes thought York was magic, thought he was some kind of supernatural being. York would tell them that he was a black man. Nothing had happened to his skin. He was not a supernatural being. But some of them didn't believe him. So he joked around with the children, telling them monstrous tales and making himself into an evil, scary being. The children loved to laugh and run away from him. I wonder how he felt at night, when the scar-filled sky blanketed him. Did he ever think about life, what it was like before the expedition? Before he was a slave? How far back could he remember? Did he remember existing in a world where no one thought him strange? Thought him a beast? Did he remember being human? 52. Perseverar. To persevere. Maxine and I decided to go on a walk through Columbia Park. All of our outings can't be centered around food, she says. Spring is finally here, so walking outside isn't so bad. I've been looking forward to it all week. We walk under the colossal trees circling the whole park. As we walk, I tell her about Sam, about the incident at the mall and the cafeteria line, and how Sam doesn't even know about Natasha Ramsey, how she's always making excuses for why something is the way it is, and her reasons are never about the fact that I'm black and that sometimes it is really about race. You need to tell her how you feel, Maxine says. I know, but I don't know how to start the conversation with her, I admit. 
I've never had to have any serious conversations about race with a friend. I mean, the point of friendship is to be able to be yourself, to just exist with someone who gets you while you get them. I never have to talk to Lily and hash things out about stuff like this. I don't think it's fair to compare the two of them. They are different. And just like Lily offers you a certain kind of friendship, it sounds like Sam does too. Some friends are worth fighting for, Maxine says. She sits on a park bench. I sit next to her. And you know you're worth fighting for, Maxine tells me. Did you ever talk with Mrs. Parker about the study abroad program? Something else I need to speak up about. I will, I tell her. By the way, she says, I've been thinking about our deal. I held up my part, she tells me. I'm done with John, for real this time. I thought you'd want to know that, Maxine says. So I did my part. I quit. Now we have to keep working on your learning how to not quit on everything and everyone because they disappoint you or hurt you or make a mistake. I don't even argue with her because I know she's right. I can't, can't quit on Sam. Can't quit on my dream to do the study abroad program. Can't quit on me. 53. Para abogar. To advocate. When I walk into the classroom, Mr. Flores is eating lunch and watching a video on his laptop. I hear a voice saying Natasha Ramsey was released from the hospital this morning. Mr. Flores pauses the video. Sorry, I forgot we had an appointment. He pushes his sandwich to the side. Come on over, Jade. Have a seat. You can finish watching that if you want, I tell him. Oh, this? I was watching the press conference they had this morning on the Natasha Ramsey case, but I can get to it later. I'd like to watch it with you, if that's okay. I sit at Mr. Flores' desk. He touches the play button. We watch the doctor finish his statement, and then Vancouver's mayor speaks. Someone representing the family ends by thanking the citizens of the Vancouver-Portland area for their support and prayers. When the video is over, Mr. Flores says, I'm so relieved she's going to be okay, physically anyway. Who knows what the psychological damage will be? He closes his computer. Thanks for suggesting we watch it together, he says. So, uh, ¿qué pasa? I hesitate. My problem seems trivial now after remembering Natasha Ramsey. There are worse things happening in the world, but if I don't say it now, I never will. I just wanted to ask you a question, I say. I wanted to know why you didn't think to nominate me for the study abroad program. I look away down at the floor before I get a glimpse of his reaction. Well, Jade, that's a good question. I give him my reasons why I think I deserve to go. I have an A in your class. You always pick me to help people in the class who are struggling. And you know this is an opportunity to do volunteer work and service that would look really good on my college resume. Plus, without the study abroad program, I doubt I'll ever get an opportunity to travel internationally. Maybe I should have said that last point, but it's true, and he needs to know. Mr. Flores' face changes color like a mood ring. He's white, pink, red. He takes a deep breath. You're right that technically you deserve to go. But, well, I wanted to be fair to the other students. You have a lot of support and are in a lot of programs. He pauses, then continues. Jade, other students need opportunities, too. Then he wraps up the rest of his sandwich and puts it back into his bag. I'm not saying the students who were nominated shouldn't have been. I'm saying I should have been, too. Why am I only seen as someone who needs and not someone who can give, I asked. Mr. Flores doesn't answer my question. Instead, he says, do you realize you're in those programs because we believe in you? We know you have potential. That SAT prep class you were in last year is going to make it easier for you when the time comes to take the test. Mr. Flores sits forward in his seat like he's going to stand, like he's ready to go and be done with this conversation. I get up. Mr. Flores stands and walks me to the door. It's my job to care about all my students, Jade. I have to be fair, he tells me. Fair? I can't leave without telling him the rest of how I feel. 
I turn to him and make sure I'm not raising my voice or talking with any attitude. It is a sincere question. How is it fair that the girl who tutors half the people you've chosen for the study abroad trip doesn't get to go? You've given me an A plus every semester. Every semester. And you didn't think it would be fair to nominate me? I didn't expect for the tears to come. First, they're in my throat. My voice is weak and shaking, and I realize that I'm not mad about all of this. I'm sad. I face the door before any tears fall. You don't have to answer that, I tell him. Thanks for letting me talk with you. I leave the room while I still have control over my emotions. I hear Mr. Flores say something. Maybe I'm sorry. Maybe just goodbye. I go into the bathroom and hide away in the stall and let out everything I was holding in. I hear footsteps and flushes and running water, and I wait until I know for sure no one is here before I step out. I doubt my conversation with Mr. Flores will change anything, but at least he knows how I feel. At least I spoke up.